We're going to be in Luke chapter 12, so if you have Bibles or devices, turn to Luke 12. I'll be reading from the message translation this morning. We sometimes will use different translations to give us a different spin or view of the text, and so it'll be on the screen for you to follow along, but looking forward to diving into God's Word with you this morning. We continue our series on irresistible faith named after the Scott Saul's book of the same title, we're asking the question, what would it look like for our faith to matter in our lives and in the world? And it's an important question, because if you're going to invest time and resources in being a part of a church and being part of your faith, investing in your life with Jesus, shouldn't it matter Shouldn't it make a difference in your life? Shouldn't it make a difference in the world? And that is what we're after. And so we're going to look at a text and consider what would it look like for our faith to make a difference in the world. So we're in Luke chapter 12, and we're starting in verse 13 with an encounter that Jesus has. So someone out of the crowd said, teacher, he's talking to Jesus, order my brother to give me a fair share of the family inheritance. And then Jesus replied, Mister, what makes you think it's any of my business to be a judge or mediator for you? Speaking to the people, he went on, take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have even when you have A lot. So let's pause right there. Jesus had been teaching to crowds. He had been traveling and healing and had gained a following. And so masses of people were around Jesus. This is the setting. If you went back and read the preceding chapters in Luke, you would see a large crowd had gathered and Jesus had been teaching. And then this man interrupts him. And you can almost picture it, right? Yeah, 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 Jesus. Good stuff, Jesus. Really, really good stuff. But uh, i got a problem. I need your help with it. Right? So he interrupts Jesus. Jesus isn't talking about inheritance or money or legal decisions. And yet this man stops Jesus and interrupts it. And Luke, the author of this text, includes it because Jesus does something fascinating with it. So this man comes before Jesus and asks him to make a decision about a family dispute. And we understand this. Many of us have seen or been a part of family disputes. Every family we represent in this room doesn't always have smooth sailing when it comes to matters of uh, resources and finances and inheritances. We've seen family squabbles and sibling rivalries, but there was some precedence in the nation of Israel that a religious leader could make a determination on a situation like this. That they would sort of set up an impromptu small claims court with witnesses and testimony and the religious leader could decide, yeah, yeah, give give this brother some more inheritance. So what he was asking was, and he's likely a younger brother who was either left out of the inheritance or who was getting less than he thought he deserved, and he's saying, hey, Jesus, Would you make a decision on my behalf that I should be getting more of my family's inheritance? And so Jesus puts a finger on what everyone else in the audience can see. That this man is not just after his fair share of the inheritance, whatever that might be, 
but that his life has been consumed by greed. And what happens is, we know this, whatever matters most to us, whatever consumes our thoughts, whatever we find irresistible, starts to spill over into the world around us. And sometimes others can see that that's what we really care about, but we can't even see it ourselves. And so this man in the text, Jesus, puts his finger on what's really going on deep down, which is his life has been consumed by greed, and it's spilling over into the world around him. Now, the thing I want you to see this morning is not just that what matters to you starts to spill over into the world, but that when Jesus matters to us, when Jesus becomes irresistible to us, we become irresistible to the world. When Jesus becomes irresistible to us, we become irresistible to the world. And so it matters that we learn what it looks like to find Jesus irresistible. So let's see what happens when Jesus takes this one step further and he tells the crowd a story about a very resistible person. Let's pick it back up in verse 16. And then Jesus told them this story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. So let's pause right there. If you were listening to this in the first century with Jesus, you would have heard one thing and one thing only when Jesus said this. God has blessed this man. Now that's important because it might be tempting with 21st century ears to hear this man was a good business owner. This man was an excellent farmer. This man made all the right decisions when it came to the land and the crops. But if you were in the first century, what you would have known was farmers had almost no control over their circumstances. They had no control over the weather. They had no control over the soil. And so if a, a farmer had an abundant crop, everyone would have known, oh my gosh, God has abundantly blessed this person. So keep in mind, they all knew God had done this for this man. He continues, he talked to himself. He talked to himself. What can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. And then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll gather in all my grain and goods and I'll say to myself, self, you have done well. You've got it made and can now retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Let's pause right there. Now, some of you are thinking, what's wrong with that? That sounds like a good idea. Sounds like a great business strategy. This guy's made an excellent decision. He might get a promotion at some of the companies we've worked for, right? It sounds like he's doing the right thing, but I want to point out some things that are going on in the text that, again, you would have heard with first century ears in the time of Jesus. The first is this. It says he talks to himself. If you're reading the Bible and anyone starts talking to themselves, it's not going to go well. <laughs> Check it out. Anytime in Scripture someone's talking to themselves, it's not going to go well. The second thing you have to see is he makes the decision by himself. He says to himself, and then he decides what he's going to do. Now, that would have never happened in biblical times. 
You would have always, always made big, challenging, difficult decisions, and this was one, in community. You would have made it with friends and family and a wise community of elders around you. You would have never made this decision by yourself. And the third thing is, God's people, the Israelites, had this view of ownership in which they believed in private property, but they also believed that everything they had been given and blessed with was given to them by God and in fact was still under God's ownership and they were just stewards temporarily in their lifetime. So you would have known that this man has been given this abundant blessing for a reason to steward it, to use it for God's people and for God not just to use for himself. And the text isn't just saying He had a nice year. No, no, the text is saying there's an exaggerated abundance. There's so much that this rich man who already had big barns has to tear down his barns and build even bigger barns. Jesus is making a comical exaggeration that this man was blessed with so much extra, so much more than he needs. And Jesus is using this to reveal what's really going on in the heart of this man. And then check out what Jesus says next. Verse 20. Just then, God showed up and said, Fool, tonight you die, and your barn full of goods, who gets it? Verse 21. That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. When you fill your barn with self and not with God, and that's where it is, where Jesus says, this isn't about about crops. It's not about money. It's not just about accumulating things. It's about self. It's about selfishness. And so if you step back and you go, this guy has approached, the younger brother has approached Jesus and said, Jesus, help me get my fair share of the inheritance. What Jesus essentially says back is, you may or may not get your inheritance, but if that's your attitude towards life, it's not going to go well. It's not going to go well. And everyone hearing Jesus telling this story would have known, that's not a person I want to be like. He tells the story of the rich man who has a lot of stuff and invests in new barns, big barns, stores all the stuff, and everyone listening would have thought, that's not the person I want to identify with in this story. You see, what they knew and what we know is that resistible people are focused on self at the expense of others. They're focused on self. They're filling their barns with self. And it's at the expense of others and relationships with others. Since we've lived in Minnesota, we have been told about this thing that many Minnesotans love, which is lake life. Enjoying walking around lakes and kayaking and stand-up paddleboarding and boating and skiing and having cabins. It's just been, it's been fun to see and enjoy ourselves and But the joke, which many of you have heard many times, is the only thing better than having a cabin or a boat is having a friend with a cabin or a boat. We have found it to be true. (laughs) But as I thought about resistible and irresistible people, it got me wondering, where's the line 
where the person has a boat, but you don't really like hanging out with them? Right? Where's the line where they have a really nice cabin, but they're, they're kind of selfish? I don't really like hanging out with them. Where's, where do you make the decision on an irresistible thing and a very resistible person? Because what happens is we can tie things that are enjoyable and exciting and irresistible, we can tie them to things that are very resistible and selfish. And this has happened with the church. This has happened with faith in Jesus. This has happened with our faith in our world today that often Christianity and the church has been tied to selfish broken individuals in such a way that we have made the irresistible Jesus seem very resistible. And what happens in this text is this man, because of his selfishness, has made himself very resistible and he has put distance between himself and others. He has put distance between himself and others. What we see is he has no one to talk to. He has no one to make decisions with. He has no one to ask for advice. And at the same time, he has neglected those whom God has called him to care for. Most of the people in Jesus' audience would have been relatively poor. They would have been peasants. And so when they hear a story about a rich man who has been given way more than he could ever use or need, and he decides to keep it for himself rather than sharing it, it would have been easy to identify selfishness causes us to live very resistible lives, lives that we want nothing to do with. And so if we are tempted to live selfish lives that fill our barns with self, what would it look like to fill our barns with God instead? And for that, we have to look to Jesus. Jesus is irresistible because he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Jesus is irresistible because he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Last week, Emily told us that when she thought about irresistible things, she thought about chocolate cake and other stuff, but you said chocolate cake. And I thought that's a really good example, right? Chocolate cake can do something for my life that I cannot do for myself. (laughs) No matter how hard I try, I cannot conjure up the enjoyment that I get from a baked combination of cocoa and sugar and eggs and flour, chocolate cake just does something for me that I cannot do for myself. And we see that in the ultimate with Jesus. That Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He offers us his irresistible grace. Grace that we cannot earn and do not deserve, but cannot ultimately live Without, because Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves, he brings us into right relationship with God. No amount of effort, no amount of trying hard, no amount of accumulation can reconcile us, can make us right with the God who made us and loves us. No amount of accumulation can sustain our lives. It is only Jesus that can do for us 
what we cannot do for ourselves. And in his death on the cross and in his resurrection, he makes the way for us to have a life that we cannot have on our own. A life with God, a life knowing his abundance and his freedom and his grace. But only Jesus can do that for us and we have to know Jesus as the source of life. In Irresistible Faith, chapter 3, Scott Sauls says, when we plug our soul into any power source besides Jesus and expect it to give us life, it will steal life from us instead. It will steal life from us instead. When I have my laptop on me, I often have this little cord. And the little cord with my laptop I can use to charge my phone if it gets low on battery. So my laptop's sitting there and I'm at a coffee shop. I can plug in my phone. It charges my phone. But at some point it runs out. Because a laptop was not meant to be a permanent battery source for a cell phone. I would have to then plug it into something more permanent like a wall outlet. Because it's only a temporary source of power. Many of us plug our lives into temporary, insufficient sources of power. It's what this man has done in the text. He's accumulated so much. And what Jesus says, it doesn't matter how much it is. It will never be a lasting source of life and power and grace and love. Only Jesus can provide that. Only Jesus can bring us where we cannot go into right relationship with God. We cannot go on our own. You see, the point, the answer is not to accumulate more or to try harder. It's to find Jesus irresistible because we understand that he cannot, that we cannot do for ourselves what Jesus can do for us. And when we understand that, it changes the way that we live because you end up looking like and living for whatever it is that you find irresistible. You end up looking like and living for whatever you find irresistible. We know this. We see it all the time. We see people that are passionate about something and it's changing the way they live. We we live in a time where we're told people are getting less and less religious. Less and less religious. They're going to church less and less. And that might be true. But I would say we are as zealous as ever. In fact, David Wall in his book, Seculosity, said that people may be sleeping in on Sunday mornings in greater numbers, but we've never been more pious. We've never been more devoted. We've never been more passionate or zealous about the things that we find attractive and compelling. We know this is true. Because if you've ever run into somebody who's really excited about their CrossFit gym, you know they can't stop talking about it. Or their keto diet or whatever it is. When we get passionate about something, it makes a difference in our lives. It starts to change us. It starts to transform us. And when we find what Jesus has done for us irresistible, it starts to make us irresistible. We find that 
We can lay down our lives when we know the one who has laid down his life for us. We find that we can give freely when we know that God has freely given to us and on our behalf. And we find that we can accept imperfect people when God accepted us as imperfect people. When you are passionate about something, when you know something is irresistible, when it's making a difference in your life, it can't help but leak out into the world around you. I'll close with a story. Over a decade ago, I had hit a point where I was wrestling with what was next in my career ministry-wise, trying to figure out pastorally what God was calling me to, and I wasn't sure, and I didn't have clarity, and so uh, I found a book by a Presbyterian pastor named Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson passed away last year. He was one of those mentors from afar that I have read dozens of his books but have never actually met him, and I read his memoir over a decade ago. His memoir is just called The Pastor. It was called The Pastor, and it was the story of how God used the experiences in his life to shape within him the desire to serve and love and guide others. And what was compelling about it for me at that point was it wasn't about his own celebrity. It wasn't about power. It wasn't about being the person up front teaching every week. It was about something else. And here's how he said it. He said for him being a pastor was helping people see the grace of God in their lives and helping them learn to respond. And I thought that's something I can give my life to. And I felt like in that moment I I was compelled and attracted that, that this calling was on my life and I knew it and I said yes to it and it changed everything. And what I feel called to is to help people in a local context see the grace of life, the grace of God transform their lives into being irresistible, an irresistible community of faith. And I tell you that just to say, I I felt like I had found this calling that was attractive and compelling, and it changed everything for me. When we find something compelling, when we find it irresistible, it changes things. And for Christ followers, for those of us who know Jesus as Savior and Lord and King, Jesus ultimately changes everything about our lives. Because when we find Jesus irresistible, It changes the way we live and breathe and act. It changes the way we live in the world. We become irresistible to the world when Jesus becomes irresistible to us. But it has to start with us knowing that Jesus does for you what you cannot do for yourself. And when you find Jesus irresistible, it will start to leak out into the world and the irresistible Christ will be made known. Amen. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, we thank you for who you are and for how you love us. We thank you for Jesus and how irresistible he is. I pray that every one of my friends here in this room would know 
how irresistible Christ is to their life, that they would see the salvation and redemption they have been offered and that they would be compelled to say yes to it, that we would all learn what it looks like to daily and routinely say yes to Jesus in our lives. God, convict us and lead us, guide us and shepherd us. May we know that you do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Love you and praise you. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Amen.